0: Good morning, we're continuing our series this morning on checkpoints. Today we're going to talk about one of the very early checkpoints that God's people had to stop at on their way toward the promised land. Checkpoints, as you remember, are places where people are stopped for inspection and clearance. So right after God's people get through the Red Sea, in fact at the beginning of this chapter, Exodus chapter 15, there's a great big celebration, and there's a song of Moses where they sing, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider are thrown into the sea. I mean, it's an exciting moment in their history. And then we get to the, toward the end of that chapter, and I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees and they camped there near the water. This morning's message is called God's Mirages. It's the story of being thirsty, seeing a pool of water, being excited about it because you've been going three days with nothing to drink, only to find that that water was undrinkable. That to me is a picture of a mirage. You see something that is supposed to be great, satisfying to the thirst, and you get there and find out it's not real. Some of you may know that uh, I received a doctorate of ministry from Fuller Theological Seminary. A doctorate in ministry can't boast of being one of the highest paid doctorates, but it does take one of the longest to get. Because after four years of college, you have to go three years of seminary to get a Master's of Divinity, and then you have to go to four year, more years, to get your doctorate, four to seven years. And, of course, I took the seven-year plan and finished right on the nose of of when uh, my expiration date to finish my doctorate was. Uh, and I took the full seven years. I'm not sh- saying that this morning uh, because I want you to know about my schooling. I'm saying that to say that my schooling got off to an unlikely start. You would not have predicted from the beginning of my education that I would have finished my doctorate. There's a popular book that says everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. The truth for me was kind of the opposite. Everything I learned in kindergarten were things that I really didn't need to know. They were to my detriment. I had a difficult kindergarten experience. I'm not sure why it was, but it just seemed to me, and you know, I'd, I'd love to go back and meet this person again, but it seemed to me that my kindergarten teacher didn't like me from my five-year-old eyes. I was a kid that was eager to go to school. I probably looked like a nerd. I had glasses uh, from my five-year-old uh, kindergarten checkup on. I've worn glasses, and I usually had them taped up. But I was a curious kid. In fact, my my mother, uh, in my scrapbook, my baby scrapbook, she called it the question box because I was always asking questions. I wanted to know the way the world worked, so I was excited to go to school to have somebody besides just my mom and dad to ask my questions to. And so my kindergarten teacher, I came excited with all my questions, but I don't think she was as excited as i was about me asking all of those questions and so it seemed to me that i rarely got um picked to answer questions uh uh to, for my questions to be answered when i was in kindergarten one of the one of the the hallmark moments that stood out for me was one day when it was time for rest time and we were all putting our little blankets out i was playing with trucks and cars and I remember rolling my car back toward the toy box, but little did I know there was a girl who had already laid down to rest, and when I rolled that truck, it hit her right in the nose, and her nose began to bleed, and she let out a blood-curdling scream, and my teacher immediately came to me, very angry with me, and I remember her throwing me out of her class, putting me in the uh, hallway and telling me I was a bad kid. I remember some of the neighborhood kids from my neighborhood that were in different grades that were walking down the hall, saw me sitting in the hall and couldn't believe that I had gotten in trouble one day. however, in kindergarten, there was a um, there there was a, a little thing that the teacher was teaching us about different tastes, like what is salty tastes like, what is sweet taste like, etc well she was asking for volunteers to participate in this tasting contest. And and so uh, she held up some chocolate and said, who would like to taste this? And of course, my hand shot up in the air. I wanted to taste the chocolate. Well, I came up to the desk, and there she was. I was just elated she had chosen me. And uh, she took some cocoa, unsweetened cocoa, and she took a big, big spoon of it, And she put it in my mouth. And I remember vividly that I had never tasted anything so bad in all of my life. And I started spitting that cocoa out of my mouth. And I remember running toward the bathroom. And while the kids were all laughing, I could hear my teacher saying in the background, And this taste class is what we call bitter. That moment became a symbol for me of my kindergarten year. But I also think about the people of God that came to this water that they thought should bring them refreshing. They were thirsty. They were excited that uh, uh, while they're out in the desert, the Bible says, they see this fountain of water. They're expecting something good. And they find out that it is Mara, and the name Mara means bitter. Bitter. How had, had they gone from earlier in the chapter when they're coming through the Red Sea? They're so excited, they go on this three day journey, and then they um, find out that the waters out there were bitter. Imagine that uh, uh, some people have estimated that there were 3 million people that came through the Red Sea. And to use the New Testament analogy, it was their baptism. Their baptism leading them through the wilderness and toward the Promised Land. So imagine 3 million people get baptized this day. The enemy's defeated. What an exciting... Can you imagine if the whole church got baptized in one event? That's what happened in this case Three million people go through the Red Sea. The, the Egyptians are defeated. They're so excited. And then they come to this place and they find it bitter. Now when the Hebrews would have read this passage of Scripture, they would have recognized an unusual verb. One would expect the verb "call," which means they journeyed to this place called Marah. But the verb is actually... Hiphil, which means Moses caused them to journey. And if they're following Moses and Moses is following God, the logic is that God caused them to come to a place of bitterness. And that's what I want to say this morning right off the bat, that there are times in our walk with God. I hate to disappoint you by saying this today, I'd love to blame it on the devil. I'd love to blame it on the Egyptians. I'd love to blame it on the world. But according to this passage, there are times when God himself leads us into bitterness. There are places of bitterness in our our spiritual journey that that we have to pass through. I remember the old hymn that says, Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood, some through great trials. But God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. That's an important theology to hear this morning. We are not in the promised land yet, and on this journey there will be some bitter experiences. Maybe you go for a routine exam at the doctor's office, just your annual exam. You're expecting it to be good. You've been working out. You're in good shape. And your doctor says, I hate to tell you this, but you have cancer. It's a bitter experience. On this journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, there are going to be some bitter times along the way. And what adds insult to injury is the fact that this fountain or water is something that is to bring us refreshment, and yet this thing that is supposed to be refreshing ends up being something that's bitter to them. I remember my children did that to me one time. We were driving in a car. We were on vacation somewhere, and the kids said, Hey, Dad, you want some Cocoa Puffs? I believe it was. Sure, kids. I put my hand back, and these little... These little munchkins put dog food in my hand rather than cereal, and I put that in my mouth and, of course, immediately rolled down the window. You know, that's a, that's a humorous story, but for these guys, this was no laughing matter. They had been three days without water, and now they come to a place called bitterness. Mara. You know, we like to name churches after great biblical... Uh, places like Bethesda, this church used to be called Bethesda or Bethel altar of the Lord. but I've never heard of a church that's been named Mara Baptist Church or Mara Community Church. And so what I want to say next is that which should cause you refreshment may sometimes be turned to bitterness. Your health should bring you refreshment, but sometimes it brings bitterness. Your job should bring you refreshment. It should be uh, how you excitedly spend all your week because you're doing what God created you to do. But some people have jobs that are more bitter than refreshing, or sometimes people go to work to find that the job has been closed and end up without a job, and so they're left in a place called bitterness your marriage you when you married one another there's a, a a place in the in the marriage vows where you uh, talk about the fact that marriage is meant for the mutual building up of one another but sometimes in marriage instead of it being something that builds both partners up sometimes marriage can lead you to a place of more Pain than any other relationship in the world. There's nothing being worse than being hurt by people you love and your marriage can lead you to Mara, a place of bitterness. Your children, these little munchkins you brought into the world that were to bring you so much joy, sometimes some of your most painful nights, some of your most painful days, will be days of bitterness because a child is hurt or a child disappoints you. Things sometimes that are meant to bring us refreshment turn to bitterness. The people of God had, had good reason to expect that this would have been a good outcome at the end of three days. If you remember, Moses had said, Uh, to to Pharaoh, that we want to take God's people on a three-day journey so we can go to worship our God when they had left Egypt. So here they are. This is their first three-day journey. I imagine the people of God are wondering, I wonder what's going to happen in three days. It's going to be good. Moses keeps talking about something in three days that's going to happen. And three days later, they get there only to find that this place is bitter and the water is brackish and undrinkable. This was God's mirage. Have you ever experienced what I would call a mirage from God? Something that you thought was going to bring you great joy and it left you in a disillusioned moment. Lord, I left everything to follow you and here I am in a place in my life that has left me with nothing but bitterness. And we realize... Early on in our journey, as the people of God did, that this is not a cruise on the Royal Caribbean. This is real life. This brings up some questions about, about this God. Is this a sick joke? Did did God really bring us this far to leave us? Is God sort of for to humor himself up in heaven... Watching and laughing as his people come up to a fountain and they begin drinking something that's bitter. Did God teach us to swim only to let us drown? Did he take us from the pristine waters of the Nile River, even though we were in slavery, to bring us out into this place called freedom, which is a desert and filled with bitterness? People of God, I would submit to you this morning that trials are meant to make you better, not bitter. The word vailonu, to murmur, is much stronger than to grumble or complain. It's a word that's used almost exclusively in the wilderness to describe rebellion against God when this bitter experience happened the people of God began to rebel against God. One commentator I read said that it was almost as if the people of God gave God a vote of no confidence. But the Scripture says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Now, that's frankly a strange a strange part of the story. You almost wonder why didn't God say, Moses, lift up your staff, because the staff had been sort of, when God was doing a miracle, he would take the staff, and in fact, one time he had put the staff over the Nile River, which was so drinkable, and made it undrinkable. Why didn't God just make this undrinkable water drinkable by saying, Moses, lift up your staff, but instead... He tells them to he tells them to th- put this piece of wood in there. Now I don't think it's a stretch that some commentators have seen in this piece of wood or the, the Hebrew word could be translated this tree or this branch of a tree that was put into the water, that this wood some people see in the New Testament the cross. They see a symbol of this piece of wood that is put in Marah as the cross in the New Testament. Now, lest you think that's a, a stretch, remember that that Jesus himself says that when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, when, when God's people had rebelled, and he lifted up a serpent, and if people were to look at that bronze serpent, they would be healed. Jesus made a comparison to the cross when he said, just like he lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men and women unto me. What I'm suggesting to you this morning is that in the middle of your bitterness, the cross of Jesus is the tree that can make your bitterness sweet. There's something about the wonder and the amazement of what Jesus did for us, the fact that he suffered with us, the fact that he suffered even before us, that makes our bitterness sweet. The cross is the tree. The cross is the tree that can redeem all our disappointments. This is why we Jesus followers love the cross. This is why on so many churches today you'll see a wooden cross somewhere. Why is it that we love the cross? Because there's something in this in this life that we live that, that sometimes becomes hard. And I would suggest to you today that just like it's hard for those that are saved, it's hard for those that are lost. In fact, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But for those of us that love the Lord, the cross is put into our bitter experiences and the cross miraculously makes us all of our bitter moments sweet so that we can even say that we rejoice in sufferings, that even in our trials, I'm not saying that we would choose any of those trials, but we can all attest to the fact that God has made us better than he has at any other time in our Christian journey. It was in our trials. Charles Charles Spurgeon, the great Preacher in England was once suffering with an illness, and his friend said to him, "My dear friend, you have now come to Mara." Spurgeon replied, "Yes, and the waters are bitter." He then said, "But Mara is better than Elam, for in Elam the Israelites only drank of the water and ate of the fruit of the palm trees, and that was soon over. But at Mara, we read that God made." them a statute and an ordinance that was never over. And by the way, it was at Mara that they learned something new about God that they never knew about God before. It's the first time in the Bible this word is used to describe God. My name is Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. We could never know that He was the God who heals us. We would never know that aspect of God, that He can take our bitter moments and He can make them sweet, that there's nothing, that all things are working together for good to those that love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purposes because He makes our bitterness sweet with the cross. Finally I want to say to us friends that Mara listen to this this morning Mara is not our destination it's only a checkpoint The last passage of scripture in this in this section is so interesting it says then they came to Elam we haven't talked about Elam yet where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Now every Jewish person knows that 12 and 70 are big-time God numbers. 12 tribes of Israel. 12 disciples. 12 is is, is, is the number. It's it's a complete number. You have to have 12 people in order to have a a Jewish uh, synagogue. And 70... 70 another great god number it's it's actually the multiplication of 10 and 7 two of god's perfect numbers god sends out the 70 uh believers so here you have 12 springs and 70 palms every every you know every to a jewish person that would be like the ideal resort 12 springs and 70 palms And what I'm saying this morning, children of God, is that you may be going through a bitter experience today, but that's not all there is to living for God. There are some places that we have to pass through. There are checkpoints where we have to pass the test, and we're inspected to see if we can go on to the next station. But if you're willing to go to Mara, don't stop at Mara because right around the bend is a place called Elam. Now, there are churches that are called Elam. Elam's a great church name. In fact, you can go all over the world and find churches that are called Elam, the place of 12 springs and 70 palms. There are wonderful days of living for the Lord. There are. I'm here to tell you this morning no matter where you where you go in the world you'll find people even in poverty that are living happy lives uh, that know the lord i got to see it firsthand in kenya but mara is not our destination it's only a checkpoint i would have to say this morning that i'm living in in one of those times in my life that that that, that It just seems like everything good is happening right now. I know that's not a staying place for me either, but right now it just feels to me like I'm in a time of 12 springs and 70 palms. All my children are home. They are all love the Lord. They're living for the Lord. We're in good health right now. God is doing great things, and I understand. I've lived life long enough to know that it always hasn't been that way. It always won't be that way. But I do want to say, if you're going through a difficult time, It's not a place of staying, it's a place of passing through. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I love what Hebrews says about Moses. It says this about Moses, that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What was Moses saying there? He's he's saying, okay, take the best day of not living for the Lord. That would be enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin can be fun, but I want to say this about sin. Sin is fun, but it also has a short shelf life. Moses had known what it was like to grow up in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt, experienced all of those pleasures. They stayed in the nicest place. He had all of the nicest things. And yet the last 80 of years, he spends 40 years running away from Egypt, out in the desert. And then he spends the last 40 years in the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land And after those 80 years, some of those days, many hard days, he says, I would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the short shelf life of sin. This morning I would just like to invite you here that maybe some of you are in Mara right now. You're going through a difficult time in your life. And you're in an experience where you just feel disillusioned. You feel like God made you some promises. It looked like chocolate. It smelled like chocolate. But it was bitter. That's you this morning. And uh, that's, that's where you're at in your relationship with God right now. I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter how bitter your life may be today, that the worst day of living for God is better than the best day. Of, of being away from his presence. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you this morning for this powerful lesson on bitterness. That, that one of the very first places that you took your people was to this fountain that looked good but tasted bad. And Lord, I just pray for any, Lord, that are listening online today, that maybe they're going through a, a mara experience, a bitter experience. We just ask in the name of Jesus that you would touch them today. And I pray today that if there's any that don't know you, Lord, in the sound of my voice today, that today they would receive you as Lord and Savior as they repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I've strayed from you. And I choose to follow you today today through the bitter experiences of Mara and through the wonderful experiences of Elam, for better, for worse, I cast my lot with the children of God. I thank you for it today. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I add your cross to my bitterness, and I receive what you did for me in Jesus' name. Amen.